0: Welcome back to Patrick Boyle on Finance. Today's video is about insider trading and the lessons we can learn from it. If you are worried about it being dull, rest assured we do have the biggest insider trading scandals here, but those scandals include strippers, bombers, pickled sharks and even Snoop Dogg for shizzle. I don't really know what that means. I was told to say it by a young person. Anyhow, while this was meant to be a top five video, right before filming, I found a sixth one that was so good I had to shoehorn it in. So stay tuned to the very end. I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that I've got some good stories for you. Now, when most people hear the term insider trading, they think of the crime, but insider trading is just the trading of a public company's securities by people with access to non-public or insider information about the company. There are rules about how insiders are allowed to trade, forms they have to fill out, and so on, and these differ around the world. Insider trading becomes illegal when a person bases their trading decision on information that the public does not know – it is illegal to trade stock in a company based on insider information, and it is also illegal to pass on that information to another person so that they can trade. In such a situation, the person passing on the information is breaking the law, as is the person receiving it if they trade on the information. Securities regulators want to make sure that all investors are making decisions based on the same information. And this is important because in parts of the world where such rules are not enforced, the public lose faith in markets, which both makes it hard for companies to raise money as no one wants to invest without inside information, but it also prevents the public from earning a good return on their savings by investing, which is bad for the economy. One of the reasons that investors are less willing to invest in emerging markets is that they feel that they might be the sucker at the poker table. Today's content is brought to you by our sponsor ProFund.com run by my friend Paul Das. If you are looking to use email marketing to raise assets and connect with potential investors, ProFund.com have been helping hedge funds asset and wealth managers to do just that for the last 18 years. Profundcom works with some of the biggest names in finance and they have a great reputation in the industry. If you'd like a demonstration of how they do this, click on the link in the description below. So, let's kick off with our first story, Ivan Bosky. In 1985, Boesky was one of the top traders in the world. He had recently written the best-selling book Merger Mania and was invited to give a speech at the Haas School of Business at Berkeley in California. The topic of his speech was that greed was healthy. The story goes that this speech and Boesky himself inspired the iconic character of Gordon Gecko in the 1987 film Wall Street. Boesky's career initially got off to a slow start. In his twenties he managed a pub owned by his father. In his thirties he worked at a few brokerage firms in New York but had little success. Then he had the good sense to marry a wealthy woman and was able to open his own brokerage firm using money provided by her family. His firm specialized in merger arbitrage. He did well for a while, but after losing a lot of money in 1982, he entered into a deal with an investment banker at Kidder Peabody to get insider information on pending corporate transactions. He entered a similar deal shortly afterwards with another investment banker at Drexel Burnham Lambert. In his book Merger Mania, Boesky describes how the merger arbitrage trading strategy works but also explains that he trades the strategy better than anyone else because he simply has an innate instinct for when a deal is about to happen. It turns out that it wasn't exactly an instinct. At his peak Boski was managing close to a billion dollars and had a personal net worth of a hundred million dollars. Boskey, who had failed out of his undergrad degree at the University of Michigan, donated money to Harvard University and became a member of the Harvard Club in New York where he would host meetings. He would drop hints that he had an Ivy League education and hired a PR firm to get his name in the newspapers as much as possible. In 1986 Boesky was arrested for insider trading. He cooperated with the federal prosecutor Rudy Giuliani, pled guilty to a charge of making false statements to the government, and received a then record $100 million fine. He reduced his sentence by informing on his partners, and additionally offered the prosecutor information on the junk bond king Michael Milken. Boski ended up serving two years in prison, a reduced sentence due to the list of people he turned into Rudy Giuliani. This series of prosecutions kickstarted Giuliani's career. About a year after Boski got out of prison, his wife divorced him and ended up paying him a settlement of $23 million, and I guess that makes sense as he had to be kept in the style to which he had become accustomed. So, next up we have an old neighbor of mine from when I lived in Connecticut, America's goddess of domestic perfection, Martha Stewart, the woman who taught Snoop Dogg how to cook. Martha Stewart is someone who would have understood securities regulation as she started out her career as a stockbroker in the 1960s. Not only did she have that background, But at the time of the insider trading scandal, she was actually a director on the board of the New York Stock Exchange. So what went wrong? Well, Sam Waxall was the CEO of Imclone, a biotech company. He learned that the FDA had rejected their main product for approval and quickly dumped his $5 million worth of shares prior to the news being made public. He also sold his daughter's shares. This was illegal insider trading. Martha Stewart unfortunately used the same broker at Merrill Lynch as Sam Waxall. The broker's assistant called her up and told her that the CEO had dumped his shares and asked her what she wanted to do with her shares. She said, them." This position would not have really been meaningful for Martha Stewart. She had become a billionaire two years earlier when her company went public. By following this tip she saved herself from a $45,000 loss, as two days later the stock fell 16% when the public announcement occurred. This was 0.004% of her net worth at the time. Wauxhall was easily enough caught by the SEC He had attempted to avoid a loss based on non-public knowledge of the FDA's decision, which he knew would hurt the stock's value, and he did not comply with the SEC rules for selling his shares. Stewart's case was a bit trickier. While she had certainly made a suspiciously timely sale of her stock, regulators would have to prove that she had acted on insider information to avoid the loss. The SEC found that Martha had acted on a piece of non-public information, but that the information was not knowledge of the FDA's decision. She was not a board member and had no other affiliation with Imclone. Stewart did not know about the FDA decision. She did however act on a tip that she knew breached her broker's duty. The SEC had to show that she knew her actions were questionable at the very least and illegal at the worst. Prosecutors focused on the lies that she told to cover up the facts surrounding her trade. She was sentenced to five months of prison time for obstruction of justice and conspiracy. In addition to the prison sentence she paid a fine of four times the amount of the loss she avoided plus interest which came to $195,000. She was forced to step down as CEO from her own company for a duration of five years and she was not to associate with people with criminal records for an additional two years. In 2008 Martha was refused entry to the UK due to her criminal record joining her friend Snoop Dogg on the list of people banned from entering the country. Who knows what they might get up to. Our next big insider trader is Raj Rajaratnam, who by 2007 had built his hedge fund Galleon Group into one of the world's largest funds. The SEC received a tip that Galleon Group might be involved in insider trading. They had actually been investigated for this in the past, and they launched an investigation. The SEC subpoenaed Galleon's electronic records and combed through more than 10,000 documents including instant messages. Raj, who had been in trouble before, knew the SEC would monitor instant messages, so instructed his sources to only speak on the phone and to never write anything down. Investigators did notice a series of suspicious instant messages and they worked out that the sender was Rumi Khan, a woman who pled guilty to insider trading a decade earlier in a prior scheme with Raj. When approached, she agreed to become an FBI informant. Investigators discovered that Raj had built a network of insiders in numerous public companies who would feed him inside information. He used inside information to trade ahead of public announcements about earnings, corporate forecasts, mergers, spin-offs, illegally trading the stocks of more than a dozen companies, according to the evidence at the trial. Among the companies that he traded illegally were Intel, Goldman Sachs, Google, ATI Technologies, Akamai Technologies and Hilton Hotels. The case was important because of the way federal investigators proved wrongdoing. For the first time investigators used wiretaps to try and catch an insider trading suspect. Raj was caught on tape repeatedly discussing insider information with friends and colleagues. The case represented a major step forward in enforcing insider trading laws. Wiretaps previously had only been used for evidence against organized crime figures or drug dealers, and using the tool for insider trading was a sign that regulators were very serious about enforcement. In 2008, at the depths of the global financial crisis, Galleon Group was losing money. Raj was under pressure. But then managed to reel in his biggest source yet, Rajat Gupta, who was an investor in Galleon and also the former head of McKinsey, who served on the board of both Procter & Gamble and Goldman Sachs. In July 2008, Raj took a call from Gupta. Investigators listened in as Gupta told Raj about secret negotiations between Warren Buffett and Goldman Sachs where Buffett would invest $5 billion in Goldman Sachs, recapitalizing the firm. This was just one of the 2,400 phone conversations that federal agents recorded. In 2011 Raj was found guilty on 14 counts of conspiracy and securities fraud. He was sentenced to 11 years in prison and fined $92.8 million. To date this is the longest prison sentence ever handed out for insider trading. The 13 other defendants connected to the case received prison sentences averaging approximately three years each. Two years before the end of his prison sentence, Raj was quietly released to house arrest thanks to a new federal law that Kim Kardashian had lobbied President Trump to sign. The law is intended to help undo the effects of mass incarceration of nonviolent criminal offenders. I am not sure if it is true or not, but I heard that he was not allowed to associate with either Martha Stewart or Snoop Dogg under the terms of his release. Next on our list is the famous pickled shark collector and hedge fund manager Steve Cohen. Cohen founded SAC Capital in 1992 and averaged annual returns of 30% per year after all fees over the life of the fund. I'm told that he bought a majority stake in the New York Mets last year, just so he would know what it feels like to lose. Steve has a history of being investigated for securities fraud, having first been investigated in the 1980s while working at Granthal and Company. In the case against SAC Capital, The US regulators alleged that Cohen hired people specifically because they had relationships with senior management at publicly traded companies who they could mine for information. The regulators claimed that Steve incentivized employees to bring illegal insider information to the firm and pass it up the food chain to him so that he could trade on it. In 2012 regulators charged a former SAC employee, Matthew Martoma, and a current employee of the firm, Michael Steinberg, with securities fraud, hoping that they would flip, cooperate and testify against Cohen. The SEC brought charges against a number of SAC employees between 2010 and 2013, with a variety of outcomes. In response to the investigation, SAC's lawyers booked a meeting with the prosecutors, making a four-hour presentation to convince the prosecutors that they could not possibly win a case against Steve Cohen. The government's main case relied on an email that a portfolio manager, Steinberg, had received from his analyst. The analyst had obtained inside information about Dell Computer from a friend and had shared it with his boss. The information came from someone at Dell and described how Dell would miss their earnings estimates. The email was forwarded internally at SAC and eventually to Cohen. Shortly afterwards, Cohen began selling the half-million Dell shares that he owned. When Dell made its earnings announcement, it missed the estimates and its stock fell. Cohen avoided a loss of $1.7 million. In the presentation, Cohen's lawyers described how Cohen received almost a thousand emails every business day and said that he only looked at around 11% of them. Cohen, they said, lived in a swamp of information so deep that there was no way to prove that any particular email was read, let alone acted upon. There was no method to what he did. It was all improvisation. The prosecutors didn't believe this. They'd been investigating the firm for seven years and felt that the firm was organized specifically to feed information like this to Steve, while insulating him from blame. They were nervous about this argument though, and that they had no witnesses or hard evidence to implicate Cohen directly. After the meeting the prosecutors changed tact. They decided to charge SAC Capital the fund instead of charging Steve Cohen the individual. Historically, prosecutors don't charge companies with criminal wrongdoing as it can shut down companies leading to enormous job losses. In 2013, SAC agreed to pay a $1.8 billion fine. The fine was actually $1.2 billion because they were given credit for the $600 million in fines that they had already committed to pay. The settlement would also include a guilty plea by SAC an admission in court that the firm had done exactly what the government was accusing it of. SAC was accused of making a number of insider trades that over time came to a profit of around $300 million. They ended up paying a fine of around six times that number. Prosecutors and regulators could not nail Cohen, although they tried their best. The closest they got was to jail Matthew Martoma for nine years. Martoma was a portfolio manager who gained inside information about an Alzheimer's drug from a doctor who was running its trial. There was insufficient evidence of any criminality by Cohen, although SAC profited hugely by trading in the companies involved. Following the demise of SAC, Steve Cohen was prevented from professionally managing investor money until 2018. He opened Point72 Asset Management right afterwards, a family office to manage his $10 billion fortune, and began taking client money again when his two-year ban ended. Next on our list we have James McDermott Jr. The former chairman and CEO of KBW, a New York-based investment bank, who was arrested and charged with insider trading by federal authorities in 1999. The married father of two was passing inside information tips to the exotic dancer, escort, and porn actress that he was seeing at the time, Yes, she had three jobs and was trading on the side. According to the complaint, McDermott provided material non-public information pertaining to at least six merger transactions to Marilyn Star, Who used the information to purchase securities, making $88,000 in profit? In addition, she passed the insider information to her boyfriend, a different boyfriend, who federal authorities believe made $86,000 from the tips. Federal officials said that McDermott did not profit financially from the scheme. Apparently, he passed along information on a number of pending merger transactions that were being conducted by his firm. Marilyn Starr, whom authorities claim had minimal experience, sorry, minimal investment experience, opened up a brokerage account and began investing in small regional banks right before merger announcements. Her other boyfriend opened a Schwab account just one month later and began trading on the same stocks. This of course drew the attention of securities regulators. McDermott's lawyers blamed his lapse in judgment on alcohol depression and family problems. I'm guessing that the family problems didn't improve after the news broke. McDermott is quoted as saying, During this trial I was called a stud stock picker and a master of the universe. Those things could not be further from the truth. I'm just an average person who's tried to work hard and give back. He did end up giving back by paying a $25,000 fine and he spent five months in prison. And finally, number six on this top five. In what sounded like a plot from a Bond film, police arrested a man on suspicion that he attacked the bus of German soccer team. Borussia Dortmund in 2017, as part of a scheme to profit from a slump in the club's share price. Serge Werner Gold detonated three pipe bombs on the side of the road as the team's bus drove by. On the day of the attack, he spent $85,000 buying 15,000 put options on the team's shares, betting that they would drop sharply after the attack. One player was injured by the bomb, and while the stock initially dipped, it went up the next day. The unusual trades raised suspicion of money laundering with bank employees, prompting them to alert authorities and to pass on the identity of Werner Gold, which led to his arrest. He was charged with 28 counts of attempted murder and was sentenced to 14 years in prison. There are many laws being broken in this case, the least of which is insider trading. I am not really qualified to give legal advice to my audience, but you really just shouldn't do any of the things mentioned above. According to the SEC website, there are almost 500 civil enforcement actions every year against individuals and companies that break securities laws. The punishment for illegal insider trading depends on the situation. A person can be fined, imprisoned, or banned from certain regulated roles within companies. The Securities Exchange Act of 1934 also allows the SEC to give a reward or bounty to someone who gives the commission information that results in a fine for insider trading. If you are committing securities fraud, you are very likely to be caught and prosecuted. But you won't necessarily make it into one of my videos unless you commit the biggest securities fraud or you do it with a parrot on your shoulder or with a porn star accomplice. Neither me nor my audience have any time for boring frauds. Don't forget to like and subscribe and do check out our sponsor ProFund.com who I've linked to in the description. See you next week. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.